Katya. And I'm Ritten. And we're here at Commonwealth Holistic Herbalism in Boston, Massachusetts. And on the internet everywhere, thanks to the Power of Podcast. Woohoo! Yes! Uh, it's pine and plantain this time. It is! That's two, pretty exciting. Two great tastes that go great together. Yes, this is where we sip our tea. Oh, you're, yeah. Helpful. So that the people... For the, for the audio. Yeah, yeah. it's right. an audio medium. They need right. to believe that I really did sip my tea. Appreciate it, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. we uh, we did actually make the tea today with the herbs we're going to talk about. We didn't do that last week with uh, passion flower and dulce. It would have been a weird tea. Yeah, it could yeah. have been. Okay. But this is good. This is fantastic. I find it totally delicious. Uh, we just had a pretty epic series of snow and ice storms mm-hmm. that uh, caused us to lose power for nearly a week. Um, and part of the losing power was that so many trees were breaking under the weight of all the snow and ice. And... Um, that is a bummer for for the trees. <laughs> for the trees, yeah. But um, but it is one of the one of the best ways to get pine mm-hmm. is that when the when the storms come or whatever, then a branch will fall down and then you go get it. You know, yeah. pine is very tall and you can't necessarily climb up there to get the branches. Not every time. <laughs> Sometimes you can. Um, yeah, so that's going to be our uh, our herbs for this. Obviously, week. I can't wait to talk about pine because no, I'm like just like right launching in. right yeah, in. Yeah. yeah, sorry, 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 sorry. That's we good. have things to say. That's good yeah. though. <laughs> uh, yes, so those are going to be our two plants today. Um, but before we go into that, just a quick reminder that uh, hey, kids, you want to learn herbalism by watching TV? So <laughs> you can see me slurp my tea instead of just having to hear it. Yes. Well, <laughs> you can. Ha! Uh, you can learn herbalism from us online through video courses with a whole bunch of other fun stuff along with them, including live Q&As and discussion threads right in each lesson so that you can post your questions and get a response right away. Uh, we've got PDFs, we've got quick guides, we've got quizzes, we've got capstone assignments. And if you're an audio medium kind of person, don't worry, every video has a corresponding audio file, so you can just put it in your ears and go for a walk if you prefer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and most of our video content has closed captioning, too. Yes, I've been really appreciating. um, This week, several people wrote in to to say, hey, for this reason or that reason, I really love the closed captioning, and I'm so grateful that you provide that. Mm -hmm. Um, So many people benefit from closed captioning. Yeah. For all different reasons, you right. know, there's so we, many reasons why it can be helpful. We do it for kind of the same set of many reasons as we make the uh, transcripts of our podcast episodes available. And hey, if you didn't know, our podcast episodes have transcripts. They do. <laughs> you can they check. Do. You can find those at commonwealthherbs.com. And you can find our video courses at online.commonwealthherbs.com. Mm-hmm. Basically, Commonwealth Herbs. That's what's up. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so before we get to the plants, let's just remind you that we're not doctors, we're herbalists and holistic health educators. We're also not professional marketers or advertising agents, clearly. As you may have have realized, (laughs) yes. So we could add that to the list of things that we're not. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Okay, but the ideas discussed in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. For real, they really don't. Like, we're not just saying that. True. Um... No state or federal authority licenses herbalists in the United States, so these discussions are for educational purposes only, which is enough purposes, actually. It's a good it's purpose. A good purpose. Yeah, we're yeah, we're into it. We're into it, you know. Uh, we want to remind you that good health doesn't mean the same thing for everyone. Good health doesn't exist as one objective standard. It's influenced by your individual needs, experiences, and goals. 
So keep in mind that we're not attempting to present a single dogmatic right way that you must adhere to. Everyone's body is different. So the things that we're talking about may or may not apply directly to you, but we hope that they'll give you some new information to think about and some ideas to research further. Finding your way to better health is both your right and your own personal responsibility. This doesn't mean you're alone on the journey, and it doesn't mean you're to blame for your current state of health, but it does mean that the final decision when you're considering any course of action, whether it's discussed on the internet or prescribed by a physician, is always your choice to make. You have the power. Yeah. All right, let's talk about pine. Let's talk about... I'm gonna I'm gonna pronounce it pinus, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Just because. No, that's the way. There's this option. That it no. That the might, way is pinus. That might you know. No. When you see the Latin name, you might think of this other set of sounds. No, 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 no. No, it's we're... pinus. Pinus strobus, pinus resinosa, mm-hmm. um, plus a bunch of other ones that don't live in New England, like southern yellow pine, ponderosa pine, pinion right. pine. Or you can you can find some of them at the arboretum but perhaps not uh, out in the woods. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Right. Basically, what we're talking about here is long needle pines. Mm. Um, and I just want to clarify that there are many other evergreens that uh, you can work with as like medicinal tree parts. Um, but today we are talking about pines. Yeah, long needles. They come in bundles, right? Rather than attaching each needle individually, attaching to the twig. They're going to be in bundles. With the white pine, you get five needles per bundle. With the red pine around here, you get two. Mm-hmm. Two, two or yeah, three? Two. Mm-hmm. Oh, because a lot of red pines I know, give you three. I know, and, and initially I learned it that way, too, because it was like white, five letters, W-H-I-T-E, five needles. Awesome. Red pine, sometimes three needles. R-E-D, great, three letters. But then I climbed several. And I looked at all of the bundles, and I said, this is two, this is two. And I went and looked up Pinus resinosa at the fantastic website, GoBotany. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, so which, good. It's not just GoBotany.com. It's like GoBotany.NewEnglandWild.org, maybe, or com. If you put <clears throat> GoBotany in a search bar, it will get you there. Yeah, and if you're especially in Northeast uh, United States, it's one of the better places to look uh, for plant identification pictures and extensive um, botanical descriptions and a whole bunch of other great stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So five needles, possibly three, often two. Anyway, bundles of needles and they're attached in uh, as a bundle instead of individually, mm-hmm. like um, on like a hemlock or, or a spruce, spruce or a fir, you know? Yeah. yeah. Right, right. So, um, you know, for these, for these podcast episodes here, we're, we're trying to not only repeat all of the same stuff that we have in our Materia Medica Yeah, course. but to try to, try <laughs> to do, like, different, more, you know, right. more additional stuff. Yeah. But there are some things that I kind of can't help saying when we talk about pine. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, the needles, they're fantastic to make into a tea. Uh, they taste good, as we're demonstrating here with our teacups that we're drinking today. <laughs> um, that uh, they're nice and aromatic, that they can kind of lift your mood or even stimulate you a little bit. Not the way that coffee does, but get your blood moving. You know, okay, I really do want to talk about that, like yeah. the emotional perspective. Is this the time or should I wait for a minute? You're, you're no, on your way to a point. I think I think this is a good thing to dwell on for a okay, minute. Okay, yeah, okay, okay, great. Let's do that. Um, yeah, yeah. So temporary tangent. Uh, pine, because you were saying like to give a little stimulation, a little boost, but mm. not like caffeine and 
I think it's really important to capitalize the not because when I'm looking to pine for a boost, the kind of boost that I'm looking for is when I need strength, mm-hmm. by which I mean fortitude. Yeah. Like, like the strength to go on and not the strength to stay awake, but I'm going to have the jitters, mm-hmm. right? It is a, I'm not looking to pine for a short-term stimulation, although it does have a fast effect. I'm looking to pine... You can kind of compare it to goldenrod in this way, like for a marathon kind of situation or a very heavy kind of situation or a situation where I'm not sure that I'm strong enough to do what I have to do. Mm. Um, Or maybe even where I'm not sure that I'm big enough to do what I have to do, not not necessarily physically, but like energetically or emotionally or, you know, whatever. I'm just not sure that I've got what it takes kind of a thing um i guess i guess kind of specifically in terms of energy reserves or like resources to draw on um i'm starting to feel poured out i'm starting to feel um like the beginning of exhaustion coming in kind of thing that's the kind of boost i'm looking for when i'm turning to pine Mm. and that's really different than caffeine yeah, yeah. I feel like a lot of that has to do with the, the foundations of the plant, right? So we think of energetics, we think of this as a warming herb, tonifying, drying in the way that it impacts the body. But particularly that, that tonifying element for this, uh, pine can help you hold yourself together. You know? Yes. Like a lot of astringent plants can be helpful in that way, especially if you have more of a watery type constitution and you feel yourself leaking a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because, okay... Uh, do I say this a lot? I don't think of pine as very astringent. <laughs> like, I think I must say that kind of a lot. Yeah. Um, but again, I have a, I have a cold and damp constitution. So I, something has to be really pretty astringent for me to feel the astringency. For sure. I wouldn't say very astringent. I mean, I enjoy drinking pine and I can drink many cups of it in a day and feel pretty good and it doesn't cramp up my guts or, you know, dry me out too much or anything like that. Um, so it's, it's a flexible herb for mm-hmm. a variety of different constitutional patterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I have something kind of similar to you. Cause for me, I think of pine a lot and many evergreens, honestly, when it's like, all right, I want to make a, an endurance blend. I want to make something where I'm going to go and have a, have a week of a lot of, a lot of exertion, whether it was moving or whether it was mm-hmm. like doing move net events in the, in the, in the deserts and forests or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's like I'm going to be putting a lot out. I still need to hold on to something to sustain me and kind of like feed the fire the next day. And also, I'm thinking about um, herb conferences. Yeah. Because that's where we met um, ponderosa pine and pinion pine because mm. they grow in the southwest. And that's when uh, we we were teaching at some herb conferences in the southwest. And that's where we got to have firsthand experience with those pines and the same thing, like when you're teaching at an herb conference, it is like an endurance sport. <laughs> it's a lot of, lot of output of energy. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of, a lot, a lot of output. Um, and pine is very helpful in that kind of a situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, the needles, you know, they're, and this is really what we've been talking about this time. I uh, can't, can't sneak by without saying that they're high in vitamin C. Yes, that's great. They are. Yeah, they it's are. important. They are. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, you know, if you have pine and rose hips, uh, there you've got a really nice complex of vitamin C and bioflavonoids. Uh, you've got the terpenoids in the pine. You've got mm. those aromatic elements. That's a really good one that will prevent you from getting scurvy. Yes. Sure. <laughs> you said the needles. Yeah. I will specify that when I make tea from pine, I also put in some twiggy parts. Mm -hmm. And um, usually, so the way that the branches form, there will be like a strong central branch. And then um, some of the bundles might attach right to that strong central branch. But some of them will have these just sort of little, like three or four inch little tiny branch, like branchlet. It would be a petiole on a on a plant, but on a tree it's... Little twigs. It's little twigs. Yeah. yeah. And then at the tip of that twig is the bundle of pine needles. And it's those, they're quite soft. They're like... Mm, you could measure the diameter in like millimeters. You, you probably, they're like, you know, uh, thicker than an earring, but, you know, so, but maybe two earring things put together. Like they're not that thick, right? They're pretty, they're pretty small. They're very flexy. They're very bendy. Um, and so I like to put that part into the tea along with the needles. And part of the reason there is, that I really like the resiny, um, like high aromatic, high resin aspect that you get more from the woody part mm -hmm. that, that is in the needles, but very light. And I just like to be a little heavy handed with, with those constituents. So I put in some twiggy bits also. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I've often wondered... You know, uh, when we look at when we look at pine species across the world, um, and uh, pine the way it turns up in uh, in supplements and products and commercial things, there's this product that you you'll see named very frequently called pycnogenol, um, and this is a this is a extract from the bark of French maritime pine. <laughs> TM, you know, um, and no other pine will do except no substitutes. Special, special pine, special, <laughs> you know, slightly different chemistry. Yeah, okay, but you know, it's a, it's a very famous as an antioxidant, and it's been studied pretty extensively for those kinds of effects and beneficial for you know inflammatory issues of a, a wide array. Um, and kind of looking at that and thinking, well, you know, the twig is barky, and there's that, like you say, the resin layer in there, and mm. I think that it's it's good to include, and it kind of broadens the um, the set of chemistries of the, the the entire pine organism that you get in your teacup. Yeah, so we've come to we've come to prefer to keep both needle and some twig mm. into there for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we often like to say and uh, repeat about working with pine needles is that they're good for a steam. They are great. In a steam, they are. They're handy to include in your steams. Yeah, they're delicious yes. in a steam, except yes. the smelly kind of delicious. The smelly kind of, yeah. As opposed to the eating kind of delicious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Steams are helpful for a lot of reasons. Uh, steams are really helpful for clearing out your sinuses. They're helpful if you're kind of blocked up and, and got a bunch of snot stuck in there. They are, uh, when you're doing a steam, not just with plain water, but with herbs, you're going to get delivery of these volatiles right into your respiratory tracts, through your sinuses, down into your lungs. That can stimulate immunity there. That can warm your lungs, heat up your system, maybe help you expectorate some 
cold, damp, stuck, heavy phlegm that might be down mm-hmm. into there. Yeah. So these are all kinds of reasons we like to go for steam. And one really nice thing about pine in a steam is that um, if you live in a place where there is pine, then you have it whenever you need it. Uh, you don't, like if you've, you, maybe you had some oregano and you ran out and you had some thyme and you ran out and you had some, all the different things that are also great in a steam. Uh, and you're just like, um, out of all the herbs, I don't know what to do. It's the middle of winter. I can't grow anymore. Um, but hark, the pine. Uh, <laughs> and so you can just go out and get yourself some pine needles. And you should go out and get the pine needles. That is the one tricky thing about pine. You really can't store it. Yeah, we haven't had success uh, storing pine needles for, for too long. You know, they turn brown um, sitting in the jar. They're, they're clearly very sensitive to, to light exposure. Once you pull them off of the twig... You're, you figure there's a countdown timer that's started to run. And it's yeah. short. It's mm-hmm. really short. Yeah, yeah. So what we do uh, to solve this problem is we leave them on the twigs, on the branches, for as long as possible. Um, today was a good example for that. I went out this morning to take a walk with the dog and see what's going on on some of the trails here in the in the forest around where we live. And a uh, lot, of, lot of down branches, a lot of big, like, half of trees kind of knocked mm-hmm. over and, you know, laying in the middle of everything. And... So a lot of downed pine, and I took a couple of, uh, you know, moderate-sized branches home. Taller than you. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, pretty, you know, pretty I'm tall. Not, I'm not so tall, so yeah, <laughs> it's still pretty moderate. Um, but yeah, and uh, I brought them home, and because we have this giant, you know, pile of snow everywhere, uh, I just sort of uh, jammed them into the snowbank, standing upright as if they were... As if they were, you know, growing there. Just like a tree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that seems great. You know, it's cool outside. Uh, they're going to be happy there. And there is something about leaving it on the twig or on the branch that seems to help. You know, even in the summertime, if we ha- if we find a downed, like even a small branch and bring it home, we'll just bring it in, leave it on the branch, but set it on a table. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, pull off however many handfuls of, of pine needles we want to make this pot of tea uh, or this steam or whatever we're doing. And otherwise leave the rest right there on the branch until they're all stripped off. It's like buying tomatoes on the vine, right? Like the vine, or in this case, the branch, is still providing sustenance. So those needles are not dead yet, actually. Like they, you know, they're in this kind of still alive state. Because even though the branch has been broken off the tree, the needles are still receiving nourishment from the branch. Mm. So... Um, yeah, it's the way to keep them fresh right up until the last minute. Yeah, that's how we like to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it difficult to talk about pine without discussing tree climbing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love that about you. Uh, like, really, really, I it's, do. It's not always the easiest thing to, to do to climb a pine tree because uh, in many cases they're going to they're gonna drop or lose or someone's going to come by and knock over. Uh, or knock down their lower limbs because pine trees can get very tall and like really really tall like i don't know what are they 100 feet tall are they 200 feet tall it's hard to you hear about 200 foot pine trees especially white pine trees here in in like the new england area but not for a couple hundred years and the reason is that you know when uh well when the europeans showed up around here um, they wanted to harvest um, the the largest white pine trees for masts for sailing ships, mm-hmm. um, and you know there were 
by the time that there were like you know uh, like local governors and whatever they would be like these are reserved we mark them with the arrow sigil and that means that you can't harvest that or you'll get in big trouble and um, but the thing was that those would only grow in the right conditions like if there's a, um, a ravine and so the pine can grow up pretty tall but not be exposed to wind for all of its height that's really important and it's not you know, that's not everywhere, right? So right. in our forest, there's lots of places where pines can grow, you know, 40, 50 feet tall, but they're not going to reach 200 because they would be standing alone above the hemlocks right, and the maples and, and whatever else. They already, like, it's, I don't know, it's very challenging for me to estimate vertical height, but um, they are taller than all of the other trees. Like, you can, and the funny thing is that they're kind of like Q-tips, <laughs> like, they they go straight up, straight up, straight up, straight up with really no branches because all the lower branches come off over the years. Yeah. And they get to where they're taller than all the other trees. And then there's like all of the branches with all of it's like the entire puff. tree is yeah. above the other tree, you yeah, know? Like, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, what's happened is that um, over time, as the other trees have grown up around it or, or as it's, you know, kind of gone that way, then those lower limbs are shaded. And so the tree says, well, I'm not going to put pine needles down here because there's no sunlight getting down mm-hmm. here. I'm going to grow up higher and I'm going to put all my needles up there. So um, that can be a, a barrier to climbing some pine trees now and then. Um, but every now and then you do find one and you can reach a lower limb and now you triple check and make sure it's sturdy. And, you know, <laughs> you practice all your good safe climbing uh, habits and everything. Um, you know, a few years ago we lived in Dorchester and uh, one of my favorite things about that neighborhood was that there was a park very close by that we could go play with Elsie, the dog, mm-hmm. uh, and she loved it there. Um, but also I could go there and I could climb. Uh, there were a few, there was like four or five white pine trees. They were red pine, weren't they? I'm sorry. There were four, exactly four red pine trees growing on this one corner of the park. And um, I would uh, I would go out there, oh, you know, in the morning or at midnight or in the middle of a thunderstorm or other, <laughs> other things like that, which I'm not saying I recommend, uh, but it was something that I did. And found delightful. Um, And, you know, like just building that habit, there was a a full year where I I made it a habit to climb a tree every single day. Um, And it was almost always this one particular red pine tree uh, that was over there at the park. And so I would often find myself like, oh, time to go there. And I would kind of walk through the neighborhood. And um, it also kind of made me be thinking more about other plants. You know, I remember in that year, this is all leading somewhere, I tell you. Uh, I was I was noticing in the springtime forsythia tree, uh, plants around around people's houses, and there was one right next to this house with the blue shingles on it, and um, I, I really like marked it in my mind, like that's the forsythia right there, uh, so that I could still see it after it dropped its distinctive yellow flowers, and then it was just sort of a green bushy shrub thing, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then I would walk over to the park and I would jump over the park benches and run around in the field and go over to the tree and climb up it and hang out there for a while and meditate or look at the stars or do other things like that. So if you would like to hear that story in the form of a poem, uh, it goes like this. That's a forsythia at Blue Shingle House. Here in my height and I vaulted both benches. All up the pine I hear planes passing over until at the apex I climb to my senses. The view from the top of the red-barked tree trimmedest of a quartet at the park. Only up there could I feel here see beyond electric cloud to star-stud dark. 
Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, I like that. Yeah, that's my that's my well one of some pine poems. <laughs> I... <laughs> you got to have more than one, right? Yeah, no. I, I listen. Public parks are so important. They're so important. I just think about that where we lived in that apartment, and I liked living there, but was near the airport and so there were airplanes like literally every minute that's the like, planes passing over yeah. actually <laughs> literally time. every minute mm-hmm. um and uh it it was a challenging sensory environment to live in it was quite stressful on like a low level that that you both don't consciously notice and when you do consciously notice it then you try to like chastise yourself for being stressed about an airplane like that how but but listen noise pollution is a serious serious problem and like a health impact um and so the the like this particular park was just it was full of lots of trees there were also white pine trees there and oak and other things um there there was like a section that was really woody and and then there were these four red pines all together. And then, of course, there was like a big ball field and there was a playground part and, and different things. Yeah. But it like even just being in that park, which was like, I don't know, an acre. Like There were animals there. I, it, I saw yeah. coyotes a couple times. There you know, lots of squirrels, obviously. But yeah, it makes a huge difference when you are... Um, kind of like flooded with the input of the city and it when you live in a city it can be hard to recognize that you are flooded with the input of the city until you get into a green space and you realize like oh i'm relaxing things that i didn't realize were tense uh yeah so even if there's only grass and trees at a park and you think well there's no herbs here that are fun. Like, well, first of all, most trees are actually herbs. Um, and secondly, it's, it's still good. Like it is still good. Just go. And if you're not into tree climbing, it's okay. You can just <laughs> yeah. sit at the foot of the tree and, right. and be in that place too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I did enjoy that tree because like you pretty much had to, to jump and kind of reach up and grab the first limb and sort of like, lift your legs up above there to hook onto the next one. And it was a challenge. It wasn't the easiest thing to get to, but but up at the top, it was really comfy. It was like a nice place to hang out and just rest and <laughs> just feel totally, you know, supported. The other thing I love about climbing, a, a especially a red pine tree, which its Latin name is uh, Pinus resinosa, because it is resinous. <laughs> like it exudes even more resin than mm. the white pine or a lot of other evergreens do. And uh, you know it when you come down and then you have the stickiness all over you yeah and and it just i don't know for me it always sort of felt like oh i'm getting a little pine to carry home with me and <laughs> and maybe you get a little in your hair like i did earlier today or maybe you get <laughs> and you always had it in your clothes had and it it's not clothes. easy to wash out it's not of the your clothes. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. but uh you know despite the the maybe like frustrations or whatever that come with that it was like ah, this, this tree is coming with me yeah you know? yeah yeah and that resin is good medicine, let's say. Well, speaking of climbing and resin, I am reminded of a picture we have um, because we were yes. getting some <laughs> resin from a white pine tree. And this was, it was a white pine with no lower branches. It was just like straight up for a long time. Mm-hmm. And a branch had come off. And so a 
big clump of resin had formed there. And if you're going to harvest resin, it's important to recognize that the big clumps of resin on the pine tree, that's a scab for the tree and it covers a wound. So if you're going to take some of it, then first off, you need to make sure that it is a really big clump. And sometimes they are, like it just keeps exuding sap and you might have like a clump the size of a clump is the technical term for Oh yeah, of course. Absolutely. A unitive, Um, yeah. Right. It's sometimes they're the size of a golf ball. And so when you find something like that, you can say, okay, well, I can remove about half of this without harming the tree. Like I'm still leaving a good thick seal over and making sure that the the wound that the tree has covered is in fact still covered but it's really important that you don't like scrape it down all the way because now you're just reopening the wound on the tree right Mm. okay so we had seen this like egg-sized clump of of pine resin and we were like hey that's a great place to harvest because there's so much of it and we can leave a lot and still have some for us but it was wicked high in the tree so I stood at the base of the tree and then just climbed up and stood on my shoulders and on his tippy toes and then and then was up there getting the resin out and yeah, yeah. and then somehow like standing there I I like snapped a selfie a photo <laughs> of, yeah. like me with his feet and yeah it was pretty funny yeah yeah anyway that's so these how these may it. be some pine adventures that you could enjoy yeah um, once you've got your resin you can work with that uh, primarily through oil you know so we'll we'll melt that into some oil stir that up real good as it as it's gently heating gently gently slow and slow and uh, that will uh, it eventually dissolve mostly <laughs> into the oil mm-hmm. and then you can strain it through cloth and everything and right because there's gonna be some dirt. And some like twiggy bits or yeah. bits of bark or whatever. Don't try to pick that stuff out because first off, it's almost impossible to do. And secondly, your hands will be just a resinous mess. Yeah. So just plonk it all into the oil. It's not a problem because once it all dissolves, you'll strain it and all that will come out. Yeah. And there will be some, you know, kind of gummy stuff that doesn't fully dissolve, but that's fine. The majority of what we're aiming at here is going gonna, is gonna to melt out and come into the oil. And then now you can rub that on directly like a massage oil or make it up into a salve. And yeah. we, we always have pine resin salve in Everywhere. several different containers <laughs> around the house and in yes. all the first aid kits and travel kits and everything like that. It's my favorite salve. Of every salve, pine resin salve is my favorite salve. Yeah. It's an excellent vulnerary, you know. It's antiseptic. It's vulnerary. It's like every possible wound... Thing that you could think of. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Mm -hmm. All at once. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful stuff. Really love it. It's like proto-propolis. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Because the the resiny bits are what the bees um, take to make propolis. And so you're just... I mean, okay, propolis is like pine resin or other tree resins plus bee magic, and that's pretty amazing. Yeah. But the resin itself is already really amazing, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. So those are some piney thoughts. Uh, but let's move on. Let's talk about plantain. And this, yeah. uh, I can't help but do it. Not the banana thing. <laughs> yeah, no, no, not the banana. Every single time I mention plantain, especially to a new group of students, it's like, let's talk about plantain, not the banana thing. This is, <laughs> <laughs> this is a cute little herb that grows on the ground, um, here, there's a number of species, actually, not just in New England, but all around the world. 
Um, we mainly talk about Plantago Major and Plantago Lanceolata. Um, those are the ones you're most likely, like, most likely to encounter if you buy some plantain leaf from an herb supplier, for instance. Um, there's also plantain rugelii. No. Plantain with the, with the googly eyes? Yes. Plantago rugelii. Why would you say it any other way? <laughs> that option is available. That has to be the way. Yeah. Rugelii. Uh, <laughs> um, well, we, and, well, we need to, and I can't believe we haven't ever, but like we need to get a plantain plant and put little Google eyes on it. And We do. Yeah. So Rugelii is the native plantain. The other plantain species are naturalized from Europe, but uh, Rugelii is the native plantain. And... You know it by, like, it has a lot of purple on the stem, and occasionally the mayor species also has some purple on the stem. But if you're like, huh, there's a little purple there, that's that's Plantago mayor. If you're like, whoa, the purple, you've got Rugulii. Yeah, right. And, you know, that's, uh, that's like a clarification one can add. To a thing herbalists in the in the U.S. have been saying since probably the '70s about how um, a number of uh, indigenous groups here referred to plantain as white man's footprint. But uh, you know, when you realize that there was a native species here, you mean, oh, so it wasn't just like, hey, I've never seen that before. The white people brought it. It was, oh, this is a different kind of, and now you fill in the name that would have been used for that plant among those peoples. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's, that's one of the kind of classic things that you need to mention about plantain, but here we want to add a little layer of nuance to this. Um, you know, it is called that in other languages. Footprint, too. path herb. Path herb, yeah, like in Russian it's parahoznik, which is, it grows next to the path. Um, the German name is escaping me at this moment, but I know we have listeners in Germany, so y'all can laugh at me for forgetting it. Yeah. Um, but it's it's it is it's a footprint or a path herb, and the reason for that is because that is in fact where plantain grows. Um, some plants really like compacted soil, like super mashed down. Uh, you know, cars drive on it all the time. People walk on it all the time. Plantain is the one that you find if you're like. Mm, you're at a park or you're at like somewhere where there are sidewalks that are surrounding green area and everybody cuts the corner and that has created like a trampled down path that is cutting the corner and the trampled down path is like usually hard, hard, hard compacted dirt. That's where the plantain will be growing because that's what it wants. Mm -hmm. It like really wants that. Yeah. My favorite example of that ever was like a bike path. And just this big, healthy-looking plantain right there in the middle. I mean, it was laying flat on the ground. Yeah. It got flattened you know, many <laughs> times every day, but it looked fine. Yeah. It was happy there, you know? That's resilience. I was like, oh, I should... Yeah, you, you've got something going on, Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a plant of resilience. This is a plant of um, kind of like... Much like dandelion. Like, these are two yeah. plants that you can't keep them down. Right. Like... You can pave over these plants and they still will grow. They're, yeah, they're kind of amazing. Yeah, we love it for that. But at the same time, it's not like a ferocious, you know, plant that's going to 
hurt people or have a narrow therapeutic window or anything like that. It's or become a, invasive or... Yeah, yeah. Although I guess some people might think that dandelions in their yard are invasive, but that's not true. It's just nature bringing you beautiful yellow flowers. You can feel happy. <laughs> Plus food! Food! Yeah. Yeah. Plantain is often uh, introduced first as a playground medicine for cuts and scrapes and bites and stings from, you know, mosquitoes and... <laughs> but look, honestly, if, if I was stung by a scorpion and I saw a plantain, I would grab it. But would... remember the time that you were stung by a bee? Oh, more than once. <laughs> uh, so, okay. in that It was actually this time that is in my mind. It was in that same park. In that same park, yeah. <laughs> uh, in Dorchester. And that park, the grass had lots and lots of clover in it and mm. also some plantain in it. Um, and... The bees loved the clover, but it was close cropped, right? Because they, they mowed it all the time. And so the clover was like super close to the ground. So if you're walking around in the park barefoot, um, being, of course, attentive for any neglected dog poop, obviously. Um, but you're walking around in the park barefoot and all this clover is like low, close to the ground and all the bees are doing their work and maybe accidentally ah, you step on a bee and you feel really terrible about it. Uh, like you did, but also your foot really hurts, and then you just ran and... Yeah, I was able to sort of, like, sit down and grab some plantain from over there, chew it up a little bit, put it right onto the sting, and you feel it You feel it recede, the, the pain of the sting. You feel it recede within 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of amazing to be like... It's amazing every time. Actually, yeah. now that we're talking about it, I remember a time this happened in a park in Brighton also. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> this has happened a bunch of times. Yeah. And every time it's kind of like, whoa can't believe this is working yeah that's kind of fun with with herbalism because there's many things like that where you're like oh it's working again right. <laughs> yeah yeah but it's still i don't know it's exciting it feels good it's i it it's like listen plant plants work that's fine but when it's something that is that overt and that like sudden and immediate and you're just like oh wow oh, oh, hey it's gone <laughs> like that's really fun it's really fun it's like yeah 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 so we love it for stings and you know it is anti-inflammatory to the sting it does seem to really be able to draw out that irritation and that extends not just to like when there's literal venom in there but when there's hot red expressions on the skin and you can apply plantain especially i think especially fresh plantain mm. preparations to that um then it I, can yes can really cool that redness down pretty quick um, and relieve that pain and that discomfort. So sap will do it because you can't always have fresh plantain, right? You you could freeze some into ice cube trays, hmm. but um, you can't always have it. And and so yes, a salve. But listen, make your salve from fresh plantain. Mm. Make, like the only time that I really want to um, make anything with dried plantain is tea. That's yeah. it. I everything else fresh, 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 fresh. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you can you can try to chew on plantain leaves for food and everything, but the the ribs down the midline and down the really like vertical all the all the all the lines parallel lines running up the up the leaf from base to tip, they're pretty fibery. They're and, they're stronger than celery. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. This is a good, it's a, good comparison. It's the same kind of stringy thing, but mm -hmm. even stronger. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So not the best salad herb, really. Maybe if you get them really young, really small. Yeah, ten, tender young plantain. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> that lovely. Could be tasty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the the fresh plantain leaf um, or a poultice, or if we work with the, the salve or that kind of thing, just an amazing vulnerary, this herb. 
um, really stimulates the capacity of the wound to heal. And plantain is also going to have a beneficial effect in terms of infection. You know, with mm -hmm. wound care, you're always thinking, I want to encourage this to heal, but I don't want any chance of an infection to persist as that, as that progresses. So plantain isn't the most powerful direct antimicrobial to kill off the bugs, you know, mm. um, but it is very helpful because it can disrupt biofilms, can break those up, and that makes it easier for either your immune system or your other herbs, or honestly, if we were doing some collaborative medicine, we could ev yep. even help this to improve the efficacy of an antibiotic or something like that. Right, like when you get <clears throat> antibiotic resistance, mm -hmm. um, especially like especially topically, but honestly, mm. there are other quorum-sensing inhibiting herbs that are assistive for antibiotic resistance internally, too. Right. Um, so I don't want to just entirely limit it only to topical applications. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, biofilms are a whole thing. And that is microbes protecting themselves in a community, right? It's not like only one kind of bacteria has formed a film. It is a whole bunch of different microbes, many of which are, many of which are pathogenic, have glommed together and they share work. And they, like, they literally have formed a community and different parts do different tasks for the whole. And at that point, that entity is no longer something that our immune system is able to fight off. Our immune system expects to go cell to cell, um, like one immune cell responding to one pathogenic cell. Um, and that's how it does its work best. It's not really very easy for our immune systems to take on an entire organized and complex organism, which is what a biofilm is. Yeah. Uh, so in order, so that's how we get antibiotic resistance or other type of resistance. And that's how we get infections that can't be healed, even like if it didn't have an antibiotic, if, like maybe no antibiotic was ever introduced, but you just have this thing that, that just won't heal. Um, and so these herbs like plantain that have these quorum sensing inhibit inhibition properties, biofilm busting properties, um, then make it possible for other herbs that have antimicrobial action, or if it was something that required an antibiotic, then the antibiotic to be able to be effective against that infection. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, here we have this, uh, tea today of pine together with plant plantain and uh this would be a decent combo i i've realized that as i've been drinking this i've been like swishing swishing it around in my mouth several times <laughs> and uh um apparently my gums wanted me to take care of them or something because it's driving me to do this yeah. but uh but yeah like that combination um you do get some direct antimicrobial from the pine you get the biofilm busting from the plantain uh, this is a decent dental combo. You know? Yeah, a really good one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Swollen mouth, you chew it on the side of your your uh, cheek or something like that. Even if you had a cold sore, yeah. you know, this would be really, really effective. I know everybody's like, lemon balm, lemon balm, but like, this would be a fantastic blend for a cold sore. Yeah. But, you know, learning this kind of thing about plantain and its, its contribution to that sort of job um, is a good reason to include it in something like a mouthwash form formula. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we drink plantain tea, 
uh, those effects don't stop in the mouth, right? They go all the way down mm-hmm. your GI tract. And that could include helping to deal with some gut infection or stomach infection. You know, if somebody's got an ulcer, if they have H. pylori going on to an excessive degree. Because everybody, not everybody, most people have some H. pylori. It's not... It can be part of this complete <clears throat> microbiome. Yeah. It's just when it starts to be bigger than then there's space for then okay that's now we start to have problems right right um but yeah you know plantain is helpful in that way all the way through and then again that vulnerary effect like encouraging the wounds to heal and don't don't just think of like big open gashes you know like a bleeding ulcer inside of you somewhere um but also places where there's been persistent inflammation and that's compromised the integrity of the tissue Right, so leaky gut syndrome is a mm-hmm. is a way to express uh, how that can how that can manifest. I you know when you fall off your bike or whatever, and you get like road rash, you know it's just like a ton of little tiny cuts or like all those little abrasions, and nothing is very deep. It's just like just all scratched up, you know, and I think about that. In, in the guts. Like, if you have had a lot of diarrhea, if you uh, maybe have been eating a bunch of junk because, listen, sometimes that happens. There's no shame. Um, and, or if you've been taking a bunch of NSAIDs, like, all of these things cause damage to the gut lining. Mm. And it isn't necessarily, like, a whole darn ulcer in your guts, although that's an option enough <laughs> yeah. right yeah but it is it's like road rash but on the lining of your intestines and so if you think about that and you're like well I just I need to soothe that I need to heal that and that is a place where plantain can really do great work yeah and look I mean you know you you work with the with the agents that are going to do the trick or the ones that you've got or you know whatever you need to do in the moment so if you need to take some NSAIDs because of pain because of whatever else is going on the knowing that plantain can help clear up some of the damage that occurs as a result of that can not just give you peace of mind, but literally help to <laughs> to do just that, to, to help to resolve some of that issue. I really feel like... It's harm reduction. Yes. I, I really feel like like the United States or the Western world or the world in general, I don't even know, people have gotten the message that if you take antibiotics, you need to take probiotics. Mm-hmm. Like, it's taken a decade or so, but, <laughs> but people have gotten that message. And, and I think that, like, the general mainstream public is pretty clear on that. So I think the next message that we all need to be working on is, if you take an NSAID, you need some gut heal tea. Like, it's just, the damage that NSAIDs do to your guts is not optional. It's not like, Oh, that could happen, but probably won't. No, it absolutely will happen. It will happen with the first dose. Mm. But it's not the end of the world. Right. It's just like a scrape. You know, you don't you don't say I'm never climbing a tree because I might get a scrape. No, you you do it, and then you just take care of the scrape. That's fine. Um, and put a little, so put a little plantain plantain salve on there, and right? It heals up fine. You're good to go, right? <laughs> and so it's the same thing internally. Like if you have to do that, then you have to. If you have to take an NSAID, then you have to. It's there's you don't lose your herbalism club card because you did that. That's fine. But then we just say, oh, I had to take an ibuprofen. Now I drink some plantain tea. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. Uh, so. Wait, hepatoprotective. We wanted to talk about livers. Well, yeah, the liver. Okay. Because that's at the, that's, we got stuck in the digestive tract and we were pretty excited about it, but we don't want to forget yeah, the liver also. Your liver is like, hey, I'm, I'm attached. <laughs> to, <laughs> digestive adjacent. I, I've got a tube that runs right into there. Come on. I'm part of the team. Yeah. 
right. Oh, man. So, you know, not just NSAIDs, but a lot of pharmaceuticals. They put stress on your liver. And it's not like, again, it's not like a side effect. It's not like a, a mysterious thing that sometimes happens and sometimes doesn't. It's a result of the way your body processes these foreign substances. And, you know, we can say that it regards them as being toxic or mysterious or strange and something to be broken down joined to other substances to make it inert so that you can excrete it you can get it out of you but i i've been thinking about a new analogy for the liver in this regard oh let's hear it all right so uh we have an air filter in our house his name is jeff and this air filter has a like monitor and it will tell you how many parts per whatever the 2.5 m you know particle yeah yeah it'll tell you how many of them is are in the air right now that it's cleaning and it'll give you like a little like blue if it's like the best possible and then green if it's still really good and then like yellow and orange and red if it's like you know there's a bunch of smoke or whatever and so, or the painters just left or whatever. Yeah, yeah. so it's, basically it's just constantly monitoring the particles in the air and telling you about the air quality of the air that's going through the filter, which is cool and kind of maddening because you just want to look at it all the time and be like, am I passing? Is my air good? You know, like whatever. And And here's the thing though. Maybe you're baking a cake or I'm baking a cake. Um, or like lit some incense because I like incense. And when I do those things, Jeff, the air filter freaks out and is like particles in the air. And, and then it like changes to yellow and orange and rarely red. A cake doesn't turn Jeff red, but like it kicks on the fan higher and it's like, gotta clean all this particles from the air. And I'm like, actually, I'm perfectly happy for my house to smell like cake. Thanks. Not, that, that one's actually not a problem. But the thing is that the air filter is designed to detect particles. It's not designed to say cake smell is good, smoke smell is bad, paint smell is bad, whatever. It's, it can't <laughs> tell the difference. Incense smoke is okay. Signs of the of the wallpaper burning is bad, you know. Right, like you can't right. make that determination. You can't very well. make the distinction. It just <laughs> says particles in the air must clean, and so that's your liver. Your liver does not understand that the that if you're taking organ rejection drugs, those things are keeping you alive. Your liver is like, oh, foreign particles in the bloodstream must clean, and that's why you have to take more than one dose, right? Uh, that's my new analogy. Yeah, that's it. Cool. Okay. And plantain is here uh, to vacuum the filters on the inside so that the filter itself can function more efficiently. And yes, let's go with that. Something along those lines. It nurtures. We may be stretching our metaphor at this point. (laughs) Plantain is is caring for the filter so that the filter can care for you. Ah, there we go. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Thanks, plantain. Yeah. that, but again, that is a, a valuable category of herbs to think about in modern contexts. You know, a uh, hundred years ago, this was not one of the key features of plantain, um, that mm-hmm. it could support people who were taking pharmaceutical medicines that were necessary for their health, but had some extra stress on the liver. But that's a really common situation now, especially in, say, elders 
um, um, you know, or other people who've just had a lot of uh, a lot of intersections with medical uh, substances. And so um, the nice thing about plantain is that despite this direct action on the liver, it's not the kind of action that's going to change or compromise the expected metabolism of the drug. Uh, and we can compare that to something like, say, St. John's wort, which acts on your liver, uh, accelerates your metabolism of a lot of drugs, and because of that, it's not a good thing to combine with mm-hmm. most pharmaceuticals because it could you know, make your drug less effective or not work in the way it's expected to do or other things like this. Mm-hmm. Plantain is quite safe, and so that's really handy if you have someone who, say, has six different prescriptions they need to take every day, and they probably are going to need them for the rest of their life. Okay, can we have them drink plantain tea on a regular basis? That could be pretty helpful. And, you know, what is like double bonus about that is that lots of pharmaceuticals have gut side effects, like maybe cause upset stomach or cause um, gut lining injury or whatever else. It's not just NSAIDs. Many other drugs do that too. And sometimes you need the pharmaceutical in spite of the side effects. You're like, well, it's keeping me alive and therefore I just have to deal with the gut distress that I'm getting or whatever. But so here we are protecting the liver, supporting liver health, and also like healing up gut damage on the way to the liver. So you get a two for one action there. Yeah, really good stuff. Okay, I think I think we're probably done there <laughs> for the discussion. <laughs> it's just that we like these two plants a lot. Yeah. Uh, before we go, I wanted to just make a comment. Uh, pine and plantain are both really excellent herbs for skin issues, right? We've talked about scrapes and infected wounds and different things here. But they're not the only ones that can help out, not by a long shot, right? And if you know a little bit about herbs already, you might be thinking, yeah, calendula, burdock, <laughs> super good herbs for the skin, yeah. Uh, but how about turmeric? How about... Echinacea. Hmm. Hmm. They can help, actually. Yeah. And you know, skin issues aren't really, they're not, they're not just cosmetic. It's like, that's, that's not what we're talking about. They can be an expression of a deeper issue. So it's really good to take steps to improve them. And herbs can play a big role in that work. So we have a course for you. Uh, <laughs> if you want to go further with that, it's the integumentary health course, the skin health course. Yeah. Uh, and like all of our courses, if you buy this one, you'll also get live Q&A sessions with us twice a week, uh, integrated discussion threads in every lesson, lifetime access to all of the material and any future updates that we make, uh, quick guide PDFs, action prompts to help you make it real, a capstone assignment at the end so you can feel like you tested yourself. But don't be stressed out about it. It's fun, and we're the ones who read it, so it's like just we're all just in this little club together. I don't know. Some people get stressed out about capstones, but it's not, it's not the stressful kind. It's the good kind. You're going to love it. Yeah. <laughs> so you can find that and all of our courses at online.commonwealthherbs.com. Mm-hmm. All right. That's it for us. We'll see you next time. You'll hear us next time, I suppose is more accurate. Unless they're watching on YouTube. Unless they are. In which case, Hi. see you next time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, until then, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Drink some tea. Drink some tea. And climb a tree. Safely. Yes. Safely. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.